Well, good morning. Once again, welcome. We're glad you're worshiping with us online. It's good to be here together. Um, and Happy New Year, as Michael said. Happy New Year. It is 2021. Uh, my name is Grace Seekers. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, yes, 2021, like I said. And, and we know that the turning of the calendar year does not take everything about 2020 away. But there is something nice about uh, what feels like a fresh start, you know, a new, a new set of months. Um, but before we fully turn that page, uh, one last time, I wanted to pause and recognize how in the midst of all the weight and heaviness of 2020, uh, God did do some amazing things here in our church community. And Michael talked about a number of these last week when we streamed online. We had a, a, lot of, a number of baptisms, a number of confirmations. We had new babies, new land. We learned we'll be particularizing and becoming our own church. Uh, but I specifically want to highlight something that happened in mid-December. Uh, you all heard in early December about the Rockathon that we hosted for Young Lives. And in the midst of the spike of the pandemic in December that we all knew was going on, we were able to safely have a total of 170 folks from our church and our community come together across 12 hours on that Saturday and raised over $14,000 for Young Lives. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and then there are a couple matching gifts that came in afterwards that brought that number closer to 20000 So the, the challenges of 2020 added, added a lot on the plate for everybody, but ministries and nonprofits really felt both uh, a struggle to get support, but also a sharp increase in the needs of the people they're serving. And so I want to thank you for the ways uh, that you participated, the ways you generously gave, and, and the prayers you made in what's been a, a strenuous and difficult time. But uh, yeah, great event, like I said, almost $20,000. So once again, thank you for how you participated and supported Young Lives. And so seeing a new year, uh, it, it does encourage us to think about what's on the horizon, what's to come. And, and as Michael shared, we have a couple of exciting things not too far off. Uh, next week, we're starting meeting in person at the YMCA. As he said, we'll still be streaming online, but the services will stay at the same time, 9, 15, and 11, and the signups will open online at noon today. I'm sure that link is probably in the comments already. And we recognize that meeting indoors adds, adds a layer of risk during this COVID era. So like Michael said, we'll be, we'll be having people wear masks when they're indoors on top of the, use, the usual social distancing and cleaning stuff that we do. Uh, so would love to have you join us, but also, as Michael uh, said very well, if, if you feel staying at home and streaming online is a better option, we're making that a priority to keep that available for you, too. So we're excited about that. And another thing we're really excited about and hoping for in 2020 is, is that we're hoping that we as a church and as individuals can all take steps forward in our engagement with God. And we're going to do that primarily through greater engagement with Scripture, and Michael talked about the plan that we have for that, the reading plan. And before I get to, into some more details about that, I want to take a little bit of time to address three common misunderstandings people make about the Bible. Three common mistakes people make about the Bible. So the first one, first mistake people make is that the Bible is simply a, a collection of things we need to, to get right, things we have to, to get right. And so why do people make this mistake? Well, unfortunately, a lot of us were taught this. We were taught that the Bible is primarily just a bunch of things we need to get right. And some of that came directly from some pastors teaching in the pulpit who taught that Christianity was, was mostly about finally getting ourselves to feel guilty enough to stop doing the bad things. But some was less direct. Some of it was where uh, we sensed in our experience with church that 
we need, we need to present ourselves as, as having it all together to really belong to the community, to really fit in. So we assume that's what kind of the, the vibe at church was, so that must be kind of what the message of the Bible is. And we kind of read the Bible through that lens. But the tricky part is that there are rules, there are commands, and there are doctrines in the, in the Bible. They're there, but if that's all that we see Scripture as, if we don't see how these things are a part of a greater story of what, is God, of what God has done and is doing, then we'll start to t- turn into those whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 23. And the life at the center of our faith will start, start to wither. Those people Matthew talked about, or that Jesus talked about in Matthew 23, were people who were beautiful on the outside but dead on the inside. So for a while, we can, through social pressure and guilt, we can try and keep up appearances on the outside and, and use guilt as a motivator to keep up appearances. But, but over time, we wear out. We wear down from the inside out. And this leads us to, to be bitter and resentful and judgmental um, at all these other people who aren't trying as hard as we are or who aren't paying as much attention to Scripture. And Jesus himself speaks to this very, very situation of, of wearing down and burning out from this in the Gospel of Matthew when he says this. This is from the, the message translation. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's, that's When we view the Bible as a collection of things to get right, everything feels very forced. We, we lose the sense of what grace is. So again, point one, uh, Scripture is not just a collection of things to get right. It's a unified story. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Now, the second mistake people make, second misconception about Scripture, is that the Bible is inaccessible. And why do people make that mistake? Well, it's because the Bible is an old book. It is indeed accessible, but it takes a little more effort than reading Twilight or The Hunger Games. Don't get me wrong, I love The Hunger Games. Uh, But I think of books like that, kind of like mashed potatoes. They're delightful, but you don't even have to chew them to move on through them. You think about it, you you could eat mashed potatoes through a straw. The Bible is more like a good steak. Good steak is every bit as edible, it's still accessible, but it requires a little bit of chewing. might require a utensil, a tool or two, like a footnote, a study Bible. Or maybe just some time to really think about it and not fly through it. But again, it's worth it. We're talking simple carbs versus protein. But people tend to think the Bible is inaccessible when they try to, to read the Bible or eat the Bible like mashed potatoes. And it just doesn't go down quite as easily. But the good news is that today we're setting you up with some resources to enjoy that fine steak. And again, we'll talk about the resources more here in a second. But the third misconception, third mistake, is that the Bible is an antiquated wisdom book. Why do people make this mistake? Well, us Westerners, we, we find lots of little bites of wisdom in the Bible that we like. You know, things like love your neighbor and the first shall be last, things like that. But there's some other things in there that trouble us. 
things like a lot of the the early the main main figures in the Bible like Abraham and David uh, having multiple wives, polygamy. And there are other big names of the faith, again, Jacob, uh, who had multiple wives. So many of us will see polygamy, uh, this kind of culturally repellent practice, we'll see it in the Bible and we'll throw the whole thing out, assuming that its presence in there is God endorsing or condoning this practice. But if you read Genesis closely, if if you read it like a stake, you'll see that polygamy, while it's in there, it never really goes very well. Those men with multiple wives, it it leads to a situation of dysfunction, of distress, and disaster at pretty much every turn. Polygamy is a constant source of trouble for these relationships, for everybody involved. You could look at this from Lamech dominating over his wives, from Sarah's jealousy of Hagar, to Solomon's wives turning his heart away from the Lord. It's all over the place. And again, the practice of polygamy is present, but the outcomes we see from it do anything but but affirm its goodness. And the same could be said for another common social institution uh, we see throughout the Bible and throughout that area at the time called primogeniture. That's where the oldest child, oldest son inherits almost everything and has all the power and pretty much uh, is put in charge over the rest of the family. And today, again, we find this uh, repellent, unfair, but there it's present in the Bible. So a lot of us will be like, oh, that's backwards, that's archaic, and we'll kind of write the whole thing off. But well, let's cut into that state. Throughout Scripture, we see God running into this expectation of primogeniture, this expectation of favoring the older, but he turns it upside down and favors the younger. Time and time again, we see this. Again, God favors Abel over Cain. Jacob is chosen, not Esau. Isaac, not Ishmael. You see David, the youngest chosen. And again, a mashed potatoes reading of Genesis makes the presence of polygamy and primogeniture make the whole Bible repellent. But when you read a little more closely, you'll find God was challenging the very way humans would interact from within these structures that existed in the time. So those are a few things that the Bible is not. But what is the Bible? And again, that could be a whole sermon series, but I want to focus on just one today that's critical for us as we move forward. So what is the Bible? The Bible is one unified story. That's the point I want to make today. The Bible is one unified story. So what do I mean by that? What, what is one unified story? Well, let me tell you a quick story uh, that I am making up as we speak. So Katie and Peter, two young, recent graduates from college, they recently moved to the Charlotte area. And, uh, and they decide, they don't know each other yet, but they decide they're both going to go on the same day, serendipitously, to uh, App Ski Resort up near Boone, North Carolina. And so they go up there, and they get all their skis and, and the other things you need to ski. And they go, and they do a run, and then they're getting, they're getting ready to go on another run, and they happen to get on the same ski lift. Uh-huh. And so they chat. You know, there's a little attraction going on there. And they, and they get to the top, and, and they, they ski down, and then they get to the bottom, and they see, oh, we're both getting on the same ski lift again. One thing leads to another. They ski together the whole day until the, the, the resort closes down or the, the slopes close down. And so Peter says, hey, Katie, I've enjoyed this time with you. Um, would you like to go back to the lodge and have some hot chocolate? And Katie says, sure. And so they go back to the lodge. They sit by the fire and enjoy some hot chocolate. 
and they begin to try and get to know one another. Because again, they've been skiing. You can talk a little bit, but it's, it's not a great way to get to know somebody. And so they sit down and they begin to get to know one another. And how do they, how do, they do that? They do that by telling pieces of their story. Peter talks about he was, he was born in New Mexico, but his parents were in the military. So he tells uh, the little story of his, his life in New Mexico, then the time he spent in Virginia, and then what it was like when he was down in Florida. And Katie talks about how she was born in Virginia and lived there her whole life. She'd been out of the country one time and tells him about that trip and what it meant to her. And so what, what, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make, though, is that there are all these little smaller stories uh, that stand alone but they are a part of a bigger story of getting to know someone. And so we think about the Bible similarly, where, yes, we have all of these different books. We have all these different stories, but these stories come together um, to really get to the heart of who someone is, or in, in one bigger story, um, in the same way that you know Peter's smaller stories of all these places he lived came together to the story of his life. So again, Scripture, it's, it's in these chunks, but it's all really one big story. Because that's how we get to know somebody, through the, the little stories in their life. All right, fair. So what is the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is the story of God setting out to redeem his creation from sin and sin's effect on it through Jesus Christ. It's a story of reconciliation, where what God had once made as good was utterly restored, where all of creation will once again live under his good rule. And this is a story that, that has happened, but it is also happening. Uh, we are... We are a part of this story. You can think of it like a, a six-act play uh, with the rise and the fall and then the resolution. We're, if it's a six-act pl six play, we're in Act 5. Michael preached last month about Revelation, about you know, what's ahead. So the story is not over yet. We, we know the story, but it's not over yet. We're in the midst of the story, and each of us has a place in that story. All right, so what, how do we figure out what, what our place is in that story? Well, first... We have to get to know the story. And that's what we, we find and we begin to see more clearly as we spend time in Scripture. How we view our life, how we view all of humanity depends on what conception we have of this human story. And so that's why we're spending the year really trying to go into Scripture, so we can know the story, so we can know our story within that story. And so I referenced some resources earlier, and Michael shared some of them with you uh, that we would love to give you to help you enjoy that delicious steak that is the Bible. Um, Michael talked about it. The, the series is called The Story. It'll be broken up into these volumes. There will be eight of them. And part of that is to make it kind of more bite-sized, more uh, something to progress through. But also, if you happen to have a difficult month and a half and you get behind, hop right back on with the next one. Uh, and so it... Also, this, if this is your first time reading the Bible, uh, this is a great way to, to get familiar with it. If you don't have a Bible, email me and I'll put one in your mailbox. If you, uh, if you don't like reading, if you don't like sitting down and reading, get the, the app, the Bible app on your phone and listen to it. Um, if you've already read through the Bible multiple times, like, you, like Michael said, you could do that seminary course or maybe try it with a different translation. It could be a different experience for you. NIV, ESV, NET, there are a lot of great translations. So again, I... Read with us, but find a way to make it, make it something that challenges you and, and opens up um, a new part of Scripture to you. Michael also said, Bible Project summary videos. I've seen all of these myself. Uh, the, the intro videos are a great tool for understanding uh, what it is you're reading. 
the, the book summary video. So I would strongly endorse those. And again, you'll get an email at the start of every volume uh, with the content. If you haven't given us your email yet, if you've never gotten an email from us, uh, Lee is going to put the link to the contact card in the comments. And if you fill that out, you will be on this email list. Um, so again, would love to have you join us there. And, and lastly, like Michael said, the Jesus Storybook Bible is another thing that we, we'd love for you guys to join us with throughout this series. It's a children's Bible that uh, even adults can enjoy. And there's a reading plan for that too online. So again, we, we want our entire church, our entire church community to come together and spend time in Scripture because we really think it's important. Because we really think Scripture can change your life. God through Scripture can change your life. And this is a, a promise that I can feel confident making. If you do this plan, if you spend this year in Scripture, you will be in a different place on January 3rd, 2022. There's no denying that. You'll be in a different place spiritually. You'll grow. And again, there's, there's nothing better for your life, for your job, for your marriage, for your kids, for your friends, than for you to grow spiritually and become more connected to God. And again, if you're new to Christianity and you've, you're still checking the whole thing out, this is a great way to kind of see the field, to get to know what this whole thing's all about. So that's our series. We hope you're looking forward to it like we are. I'm really excited about it. And, and again, we hope you'll join us. Next week, Michael is going to start us off in the beginning, Genesis 1, pun intended. But with what time remains today, I want to give you three thoughts from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. So three thoughts from Psalm 119. Uh, there are 22 stanzas. Each is eight verses. That's 176 verses. We are not going to go through all of those today. Um, only going to do three, as I said. But Psalm 119 is written by King David. And, uh, and again, the whole psalm is about Scripture. So David has three things, more than three things, but I'm going to point out three things that he, he shares with us about Scripture today, and then we'll wrap it up. First thing David shares is that the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy. This is from uh, Psalm 119, verse 96. David writes, To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. And David is writing this as a man who has seen perfection fail. He's seen the, the pinnacle of human achievement come up short. I mean, think about his life. He, he himself encountered Goliath, who was the biggest, the strongest, the mightiest, and he saw this perfection undone. David's wise counselor, Ahithophel, uh, was known for his wisdom and his judgment and David saw him tricked and ultimately betrayed David. He saw the perfect wisdom of this man fooled. David saw his son Absalom, who's described in 2 Samuel as perfect. 2 Samuel says he is flawless from head to foot. He was known for his beautiful hair. Well, Absalom betrayed his father, and it was his beautiful hair that ended up getting him killed. If you want to know how, go read and David saw it in his own life. David was known as the man after God's own heart. And he saw, as he looked back, that he, he had had an affair with another man's wife and had had her husband killed. So David, David's telling us, guys, I've seen these things we call perfect. 
and every one of them time after time comes up short. All these things which seem reliable, these things which seem trustworthy, these things that seem true, I've seen them reach their limit. I've seen them come to an end. I've seen them die. And haven't we seen that in the last year? We've seen the things, the people, the ideas, the relationships, the bank accounts, the jobs, the marriages that we put our trust in and we assume to the point of taking them for granted, we, we've seen some of these meet their limit. We've seen a lot of things we've trusted in fail, disappear, change. But in the second half of this verse, David says, after seeing all these fail, he's found the one thing that has not reached its limit, that has no limit, the thing that doesn't get proved wrong, that doesn't fail. That thing is God's word. And when I put myself in David's shoes, in his headspace where he was thinking about this, I picture, you know the video of like monsoons or mudslides where the brown water is just rushing by and you'll see somebody hanging on to a, a tree and literally everything in their life is washing away. It's rushing past them. And he's, he's holding on to, to dear life for this tree. And this tree somehow rooted enough in the ground to hang on. In Psalm 1, David tells us when we trust in Scripture, Scripture will be there for us to hold on to when the mudslide comes. When everything, out wash, when everything else washes away, the promises of God in Scripture will hold. He writes that in, in, in Psalm 1, he writes that, the one whose eyes are on the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Firmly planted in the soil. So the truth of Scripture will firmly plant us in the ground. It'll, it'll send roots down deep that will hold us in the good times and that will hold us in the bad times. And again, after, after the year we had, I think we could all use a little more of that. So the second thing David has to tell us is that the Bible guides us. This is from verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So scripture shines light on us, and it shines light in front of us, on our feet and on our path. Scripture reveals things about the core of who we are that we may not have otherwise known or seen. And then it tells us the path forward, the good way forward. So one example uh, of many, uh, this is in Genesis 2. Before God made Eve, he looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone. And when God said this, this was true about Adam in that specific place, in that specific time. But it tells us of a truth that is universal about man. So it's true in that time, but there's a deeper truth there that the worst part of us comes out when we're isolated, when man is alone. That the bitter, resentful, cynical parts of us gain hold when we're isolated. We're at our worst when we insulate ourselves from relationships from others, from another who can support us or show us things about ourselves that we can or don't want to see. I don't have to convince a lot of you of this because isolation has been one of the themes of 2020. 
And through scripture, the one who made us tells us things like this, tells us the reality about the way we are, and then shows us the path of what we need to do. In this case, we need to find a way to get the right people around us. So the Bible guides us. It shows us about ourselves, shows us realities that we might not even see. We might blame on circumstances. It shows us realities about ourselves, and it shows us what to do. It shows us the way forward. And the great thing about the fact that the Bible guides us is that the more we allow ourselves to be guided by Scripture, the better we get at following that path. The easier it is for us to follow the lamp and see the path ahead. The easier it is for us to see those lessons about the way we are. We learn to follow as we begin to know and trust our guide. And this leads us to our last point. Point number three, the Bible shapes us. The Bible shapes us. And this is from verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you've ever been on a cruise, you know, they, off, they often offer like excursions or whatever. And, if, and some of these excursions have like horseback riding. And so you'll be in, I don't know, Costa Rica or whatever, and there will be these horseback riding trips you can go on. And you go out there and you see these tired old horses who have done this same hike, this same trail 15,000 times in their life. And they've done it so many times, they could do it with their eyes closed. You could put a bag over their head and they'd walk right along the, the edge of that cliff. And it's similar to us with Scripture. If we spend time in it, if we allow ourselves to be guided by it, we begin to be shaped by it. It becomes a, a part of who we are. We begin to develop some scriptural instincts, just like those horses. We begin to know where to go, to know how to walk without having to, to look and ask every time. And David tells us in this verse that he has been shaped by God's word. He's hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. His behavior has been shaped by God's word. He has hidden God's word in his heart. And why hide it in his heart? Uh, well, that's the one place that it can't be lost, in his heart. If, if it's stored in, on paper or written down or in our houses or we hold it or if it's in our computer, it can be stolen or lost or deleted. True story, uh, like a month ago, I was driving home from church and there was a Bible in the middle of South Main Street that I think someone put on top of their car and it had fallen right by the Cornelius over, uh, Railroad overpassing. So scripture can be lost if it's just written down. If it's in our heads, we may forget. Or if you're like me, you will forget. But if we put it in our hearts by allowing ourselves to be guided by reading scripture, by praying scripture, and our heart has been molded by it, it can't be lost. It's safe. It's imprinted on us. And we see Jesus has done this when, he, when Satan tried to tempt him in Matthew 4 to turn stones into bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 8. So we see Jesus doing this. And again, so knowing scripture is important, but the point here is we need to go beyond just knowing it and we need to allow ourselves to be shaped and formed by it. And like I said, this, this shaping won't only be good for us, won't only please God, it, it will be great for everyone in our life. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your parents, as you become more like Christ, uh, their lives will get better, and they'll see that. I know I said that was the last point. I got one bonus for you. Uh, bonus point number four. The Bible is more about what God has done and is doing than what we need to do. The Bible is more about what God has done 
and is doing than what we need to do. Verse 176. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And so throughout, if you read all of Psalm 119, you see there are a lot of places where David talks about how he has followed God's command, how he's heard his word and obeyed. Um, And here in the very last verse, verse 176, David's last word is, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And if you join us in this reading plan, uh, if you didn't believe in spiritual warfare before trying this, you probably will afterwards. Because anytime I sit down to try and read scripture, a phone will ring, or a baby will start crying, or a package gets delivered at my door. And, and we need to expect this. And, and again, while the point David's making here is, is while we need to be disciplined, while we need to, to push ourselves uh, as we read this plan to do this, to obey God's word, notice David's prayer uh, following when he says he's strayed like a lost sheep isn't, let me find my way back. It's not... Um, Help me pull my bootstraps up. It's seek your servant. He's saying, God, I have strayed like a lost sheep. I'm not sure I can even find my way back. I need you to come find me. Seek me. And the good news is that he has and that he will seek us. Luke 15, 4 through 6, Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So again, we want this this reading plan to push us. We want it to challenge us to engage with God, with Scripture. But as we try hard, do not forget uh, that it is God who is seeking us more than we could ever seek him. Take comfort in the fact that knowing as, as you struggle to stick with the plan uh, that God is seeking you out in the midst of it. So again, I hope you will join us as we read this plan. And, and I trust that, that all of us will be changed as we do it. Um, would you please pray with me? Lord, we'll take just a couple minutes here to, to talk to you. Some of us may have doubts or fears or questions about Scripture. And and Lord, let us use this time to share those with you. Lord, David himself said he has strayed like lost sheep. And Lord, many of us have strayed like lost sheep as well. And in our efforts to find our way back, uh, some of us only feel more lost. So Lord, I pray that you seek your servant, that you use 
your scripture to bring us home. We love you, Lord. In your son's name, amen.